Hello, gang. How are you? It is uh, the 9th of May, 2017. My name is Luke Thomas. This is the promotional malpractice live chat here on MMAfighting.com. Hope you are doing well. It has been a couple of weeks, and we are back. Uh, back in the saddle, ready to rock. Make sure all of my settings are good. I believe they are. Just trying to make sure. Just trying to make sure that this is not another disaster. Yes, no, it should be fine. All right. Um, today we'll talk about the amount of fighter discontent that is everywhere. Um, I know we've talked about it before, but I've got, I think, some different thoughts than some of my colleagues, given some space and time to think about things. There is UFC 211 on Saturday, which is a great card. Going to be eight hours long, uh, fourteen fights, which seems to me grossly excessive, but. Hey, it's been a couple of weeks, so why not get some extra fights in? Um, boxing's having a great year, and there's a lot of different things going on. Best place to get those uh, questions or comments in, I put the thread in the description box below. It's a link for MMA fighting, wherever this window is embedded, so you can do that there. Uh, subscribe to the channel, give it a thumbs up on the video, and that would be great. I had some stitches on my hand while I was in Colombia. Um, as you know, I was on vacation, but I am back now. I feel refreshed. Um, it is hard to sleep in Bogota, Colombia, because it's at nearly 9,000 feet in the air. I know I know. if you've seen Mr. and Mrs. Smith, you think it's a tropical paradise. It is not, I can assure you. Um, <laughs> it is rainy, and uh, you know it's like London more than it is uh, the Caribbean. Um, so I had trouble sleeping. But other than that, it was a great time. I feel rested. I will be in Dallas tomorrow, which is why this is today, because it just won't work out. Media day tomorrow, it runs right through this. So... It just uh, it was a bit of a problem. So if you see me in Dallas, say hi, but you probably won't because I'll be working the whole time. So there you go. All right. Without further ado, thank you for joining me on this rare Tuesday edition of the chat, and uh, we shall get this going. All right. First question. Uh, let's see. Nate Diaz. Yes. So while I was away, I didn't work, but I did keep up mostly with the news. Um, I did not watch the interview that uh, Ariel did with Nate Diaz, but I read all the articles about it. So I more or less got to hear what he had to say or read anyway. So here's a question. Nate Diaz. Luke, uh, hi, Luke. I wish you were on the MMA beat last Thursday. Me too. Because I want to know what your thoughts on Nate Diaz interview that happened on Wednesday. So let me, let me go through these questions. Do you think Nate will end up fighting Ferguson? What do you think of his cafeteria of doom? Do you think he is pricing himself out asking for 20 million and will the UFC pay it? The above was from an ESPN interview. What do you think of Dana White saying Nate is not worth anything without Connor and refusing to give him pay-per-view points? Meanwhile, a couple of months ago, a pay-per-view was headlined by Jermaine versus Holm. How much do you think Nate could draw on pay-per-view without Connor? Your general thoughts. Wow, there's a lot to get to here. Uh, I don't want to go over things that have been kind of gone over a little bit. Um, let me just go through a couple of these very, very quickly. Do you think Nate will end up fighting Ferguson? No. What do you think of his cafeteria of doom? Uh, I saw the example he made about fighting people in um, the lunchroom in high school. Can't say that's a thought I've necessarily shared, but I understand what he was saying. Do you think he is pricing himself out asking for $20 million and will the UFC pay it? No and no. The above question is from ESPN. What do you think of the you know, Daniel White saying Nate is not worth the, anything without Connor? That's absurd. Uh, how much do you think Nate could draw on pay-per-view without Connor? Probably north of 500000 depending on the opponent. But let's let's talk about what Nate Diaz said just a little bit here in a way that I don't know that some of my colleagues talked about. Now, um, 
let me let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, all of them are bright, and I am as guilty of this as the other person. But there's a problem with. So there's this uh, conservative academic named Yuval Levin, and Yuval Levin worked in the uh, George W. Bush White House, I believe, the first administration. Um, he not I, he has since all out of politics and has gone back to mostly academia, um, but he had made a point a lot about analysis, general analysis, political analysis, sort of uh, other, other ways of doing analysis. And what he had said was, we don't make enough of a premium on taking a step back and slowing things down and really taking time to measure the impact of things, in part because we don't have the time, right? When something crazy happens, we want to talk about it immediately. That is a very natural response. But it was, it was sort of interesting to me that in the... Um, I only was gone for eight, nine days, but I, I, and I consumed everything, but I didn't share anything back. I just sort of internalized it all. And I was able to watch what different people had to say. And when you're tasked with immediately responding to something, you may get it right, you may get it wrong, but there's a certain amount of immediacy that prevents, I think, uh, having a longer view by, by definition, quite honestly. And, um, and when I am tasked with immediacy, be it my radio show or stuff in MMA fighting or my own YouTube channel. Um, this happens to me as well, but I guess in the course of time, even though it was only a week, I had this thought that like, was frankly quite frightening about it all. Um, namely the thing that occurred to me and you see it with, um, Luke Rockhold, you see it with Ally Quinta. You see it with Anderson Silva. I mean, the list goes on and on. These are just these are just merely the last two weeks. But I mean, there's so many of them. It's so hard to know where it begins and ends. Um, the Nate Diaz thing. Like, look in the media, um, we tend to cheerlead. I don't want to call them class clowns, but although I went to doing that on Twitter, is a little bit of that, but. We, we tend to cheerlead the people who want the fighters who want to stick a finger in the eye of the UFC. Um, we do that a lot. And I think we do that because there is a general inequity between the, the, the power structure between the fighters and, and management management just has significantly greater, uh, more advantages. And so when a fighter sort of pushes back against what is this, uh, you know, relative imbalance in the power structure, we tend to cheerlead it because in some ways that's our job. In some ways it's novel. Um, in some ways, maybe we're making a mistake, right? I think it's probably a little bit of all of them. But in thinking about this and think about what Nate Diaz said and Ally Quinta has said and Luke Rockhold, I mean, all these guys, what they're all saying is to me, this bigger picture, namely... Um, the old order that enabled matchmaking to be carried out with relative ease, I mean, I don't think it's ever been an easy job, but with relative ease is either eroding or gone. I don't know exactly where it is. I can't, I don't know if it's fundamentally broken or just badly eroded, but either way, it is in disrepair. Um, there used to be an old order of things that enabled matchmaking to take place. And yes, a key, if not the most significant component of that was frankly, heavy handed managerial practices by the UFC. 
Joe Silva talked softly, but he carried a big stick. Dana White, famously, you can remember, threatening to cut all of AKA if they didn't sign away their likeness rights for free in perpetuity. Right? You can imagine things like that. They kept the fighters in line. And that might be the most significant thing that has eroded, that they now cannot do that with the same kind of ease. But it's not just that. Or again, maybe it's 80, 90%, but it's not just that. There's a little bit more to it than that. The other part was that there used to be this overwhelming desire merely to fight in the UFC. You could fight somewhere else, maybe make some money somewhere else, but there was always this sheen that came with competing in the UFC, which I think to an extent has dulled. Guys you can see are willing to take fights in regional organizations because it doesn't. they can just be bigger stars there. Or maybe they just don't care about whatever star power gets conferred upon them by being in the UFC, if any at all. Um, or guys like Bellator, and Strikeforce was always around too, or Pride or whatever the case, but guys like Bellator being able to pay people what they want, um, not very, a very limited number, but a notable like public number, um, and being able to be stars elsewhere, that has reduced the compliance of fighters to agree to, the, to this sort of system in place where fights are offered and you take them. I also think the culture has changed right? Where guys would be like, I'll fight anyone, anywhere, anytime. Guys don't do that anymore. And that's an inevitable change. I don't think that's a necessarily a bad thing. It's a smart thing. But we used to live in a world where fighters wanted to be in the UFC, or would, would do anything to do it, would just bow to UFC pressure and adopted a culture where they would just say, I'm going to do anything, anytime, anywhere that these guys want. I'll show up, I'll do press, I'll fight whoever, just whatever. Anyone, they don't care. And all of that has been eroded including perhaps more, more specifically fighter awareness of them being under the thumb, right? I mean, that Reebok deal, you cannot overstate what a game changer that was for discontent. And I don't know if that was the beginning of it. I don't know if the John Jones declining to fight Chelsea son is the beginning of it, but to, to sort of like answer your questions about Nate, Consider this. This is a guy, yes, he made a pretty good amount of money. How much? I'm not exactly sure. Maybe $20 million somewhere in that ballpark um, through all those McGregor fights. I, I don't know. But um, that's a good sum of money. It's not an overwhelmingly huge sum of money, but it's pretty good. I mean, it should set him up for a long time. Um, but he is willing to sit out his prime. You know? That's scary. Uh, you got Ally Quinta, who was out there on Twitter, like begging, if not daring, if not challenging, if not demanding, the UFC cut him, right, and calling them names and being disparaging, and then attacking MMA junkies reporting, and um, and you've got Luke Rockhold calling for a strike. Now, look, do I think that strike will happen? No, no, I don't. But here's the point about it: it's not whether it will happen, even if it's only an individual who takes individual action it can cause contagion, not cooperative action, like, oh, you and me are going to work together on a plan, but I'm going to take action in my own way. You're going to take action on your own way. You're going to take action on your own way. And what does this do over time? It badly affects the product. Like the current malaise you see is not just a function of Connor and Rhonda being gone, although that is, again, a key contribution. And maybe if Connor comes back, We'll have a different conversation about this. But what it feels like to me is that that old order that held everything together, the UFC is still operating like it's there, saying things to like, if Anderson Silva wants to retire, he should retire. <coughs> or not cutting Ally Quinta or um, 
saying Nate Diaz. I don't know how much you can draw without Connor, right? When you've like had Duran to me on a pay-per-view in Brooklyn. Uh, you know, these sort of nonsensical things. They're operating like that old order is still there. That old order is not. It is not. Fighters don't feel the same way about the UFC. Fighters don't feel the same way about how to have an MMA career generally. The amount of guys who bow to pressure, especially at the top, is a lot less or a lot harder to come by. Uh, and that culture of just willingness that you saw before is gone or going. Uh, and as a consequence, what you need, what we need is a new order to be established. That's really what we need. If guys are sitting out primes, right, for years, you've got a serious problem, man. Right? You've got a real problem. And you might be like, well, Anderson Silva's just bluffing. So what? He's not on 212 anymore. Even if it's not this hugely sweeping consequential uh, event, this death by a thousand cuts that's happening, this is scary. I'm, I'm like legitimately, you know, maybe frightened is a strong word, but I'm bothered by it. I'm bothered by it. It badly affects the product. It's bad for you. It's bad for me. It's bad for the UFC. It's really bad for the fighters. Uh, this is a problem. This is a real problem. So rather than getting bogged down in some of the he said, she said of I Quinta situation or Rockhold's demands or Silva's demands or Nate Diaz's grander proclamations they all seem to me symptoms of a bigger problem and that order being gone that glue that held everything together is beginning to crack or has cracked or you know again the stage of the cracking i don't know but it is coming undone and what i really worry about and i mean this and worry is not and i'm not exaggerating when i say worry what i really worry about is uh what it's been believed that the next round of TV negotiations, the UFC will be looking for, let's say 400 annually from TV rights partners. Now, whether they're going to get that is a very open question in the, in the wake of ESPN layoffs, but let's assume that they do. Let's assume that they get that. Yeah. Imagine if the fighters see that and they don't get a cut of it, what that will do to morale, what that will do to compliance, what that will do towards willingness, what that will do towards any kind of order that we used to operate under. Imagine if another Reebok deal, or let's say it's a new apparel sponsor, Puma, or Reebok again, or, or whoever, another deal like that is signed without real fundamental fighter input. What's going to happen to that compliance? What's going to happen to that order? How many more guys are going to, you're going to see bitching all the time and worse, not taking fights, sitting out their primes, walking away from big opportunities, showing a general disinterest in the product, which is what Nate Diaz is showing as well. It's, it could get very bad. And you might even say, well, don't the fighters have some kind of responsibility here if they really want to address these situations to do so? Certainly there is no argument to the contrary. Yeah, yeah, yeah they absolutely do. They have absolutely bottled that job. There's just no two ways about it. Um, and granted, some of the actors who were trying to do this, from Jeff Boris to Bjorn Rebney, were not much of a help, to be honest, in retrospect. But um, for, for all that they need... And for all that they want, given all that they've done, it's a relatively poor effort, um, I, I grant you. Um, it's, it's bad. It's bad. It's very, very scary uh, about what, 
what could what could really happen if some new order is not created. Uh, this is what I mean when I say, like, I, I really wonder if the UFC might have an interest. You know, I don't. I know revenue sharing to them probably seems uh, you know, anathema, but some kind of fighter group to collectively assuage interest. Will, will, will it stop bitching tomorrow? No, I don't. There will always be guys complaining. Look at the NFL; they complain half the time, anyway. But there's some kind of system in place to deal with a lot of these different grievances. There's a there's a direct pathway. So a lot of it is just merely bluster or PR spin, or it's not really it doesn't carry a whole lot of weight. Um, versus these other ones, they get largely magnified um, because they speak to a real, real problem. So what do I think about Nate Diaz? Is he going to fight Tony Ferguson? I don't think so, man. This guy's willing to sit out his prime. And are they going to pay him $20 million? No, because it looks like the UFC is just committed to thinking that that old order has not really gone away. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, who's next to do it? God only knows, man. God only knows. But anyone who's got some tenure and a bit of a name and a bit of money in their pocket, they don't feel like they owe a whole lot. And they used to feel like they owed everything. Um, and so to me, the biggest way to solve this is to, uh, is to create a new, I mean, that really would be the benefit of the fighter group, right? Because, um, it would literally codify in a agreement, a new order, a new system by which both sides operated collectively for mutual benefit. But what you have now with guys like Eli Quinta and guys like Nate Diaz, what you're, re when you read between the lines with what they're saying. What they're saying is the game is something to be conquered for me, and then y'all can do whatever you want. I'm walking away. It's something to take advantage of. It's something not to loot. I mean, he earns, he's earned every, every penny he's gotten. He's probably owed a lot more, but it's something to, it's something to take from and, and then walk away. That's how they feel about it. If that's the way they feel about it, man, there we are. We have some serious, serious, serious structural issues to address here. So, um, so I don't know, man. I don't really know. But watching this from afar, I know we're like, yeah, Nate Diaz, man. He said some awesome things. And look, no one wants to get Nate Diaz paid more than all of us. All of us want to see Nate Diaz rich beyond our wildest imaginations. A guy who's given so much to the game and does seem to be. Um, incredibly intelligent and and the same for Iaquinta. I no one wants to see I want to see Iaquinta compete because he's getting paid and he loves what he's doing. Same for Nate Diaz, same for Tony Ferguson, same for Conor McGregor, same for Chris Weidman, same for Luke Rockhold, and the list goes on. And that's what you want to see. You want to see participation. What you want to see is enthusiasm. What you want to see is the machine operating. And that machine is having a lot of problems these days. Uh, so certainly more than it used to. And I, I think it's because all the things that used to make it run, some are gone, and some of the things that might still be there are not what they once were. There is disrepair. And uh, I don't know what the UFC is going to do about it, but that is my general thesis about watching everything from afar. The old order is gone, and I don't know how we're going to get a new one. But until we do, it's probably not going to resolve itself on its own and could feasibly get worse yay so there you go all right 
By the way, how much do you think Nate could draw on pay-per-view without Connor? Yeah, north of five, maybe north of even seven, north of six. He's a big star these days, you know. Uh, Justin Gaethje to the Wolves. What do you think of Justin saying he wants Barboza in his first UFC fight? Sounds about right for Justin Gaethje. Do you think this fight will happen? God, I can only hope, man. Man, I've talked about this to Justin Gaethje specifically. I was like, dude, I even asked him, Dredd, like, are you not worried about traumatic brain injury? And his basic answer was, no, not really. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, he's an adult. He's consenting. This is a regulated activity. What are you going to do? You know? Um, that's what he wants. Okay. Case, cl case closed, I guess. He's just, he's... He's a different breed, man. He's a totally different breed. He is not built for longevity. So enjoy him while he's here. Uh, how do you see that going? I suspect I suspect Barboza would win. He's the more technically skilled of the two. But, you know, Barboza's chin is not the most amazing one in MMA. And Gaethje will eat a 1,000 to deliver just a massive shot. So I could easily see him dropping in Barboza, too. That's the joy of the, the fight, right? Like, is how competitive in a sense, that it would be. Any other interesting matches you can think of for him? Well, I'd say Diego, but not anymore, because I think Diego's a little bit... Uh, I think he needs to take some time away and, and think about what kind of strategic fights would make sense for him. But, I mean, geez, man, anybody in that top 10. I mean, the, my all-time favorite, honestly, would be Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler, to be honest. That, I think, would be just ridiculous. But some another action fighter... You know, so, so anyone along those lines. Someone says, what was the Nick Diaz big fight you talked about a couple of weeks ago? My guess is Romero. No. Someone says it was Liddell. No. Oh, God, the Liddell and Hughes thing. Is that not the most depressing thing on earth? Oh, man. Two guys, Hall of Famers. I remember when those guys were at their peak, man. I remember, I remember so distinctly when when Chuck Liddell was dropping Randy Couture, when uh, everyone thought Tito Ortiz was ducking him and he was just the guy. I remember that. And same with Hughes. Everyone used to talk about Hughes' farm strength and the military fighting systems and Billy Rush. Y'all remember Billy Rush from back in the day, the original mad scientist? I mean, I remember all those days. And they were glorious, man. They were super glorious, in part because those days I wasn't really covering fights live. I was kind of just covering MMA as a hobby. And so I would just go and get hammered and watch fights, like, uh, which I cannot do anymore. But um, <laughs> so those they have some real sentimental value for me. But um, geez, man, what are you going to do? I mean, I guess if they're going to give Hughes a fight that's not too dangerous uh, and he's going to fight in Bellator, I've seen worse things in MMA. I, with Liddell, man, all the vicious KOs he took. I actually spoke to Liddell about a, uh, a yeah, UFC 200. He was doing a. Um, he was doing a, he was like promoting that show Kingdom with some kind of like, they had these cameras all in a circle at like the Caesars Palace and you could stand in there. It's one of those things where you're like, you're seeing like the Matrix where the cameras take a picture of you almost instantaneously in a circle. And so you can see like a 360 view, right? He was out there promoting that for them, uh, you know, with some kind of fan thing. So, and I interviewed him in the trailer uh, that they had outside of that thing. And he was lucid and very, very friendly. Chuck's a great guy, like, and he's done a lot for MMA, and it looks like he's still, I know some people are like, oh, his speech is slurred, whatever. I can tell you, maybe it was, but I, I didn't notice it that bad, honestly, when I was in this trailer. He seemed to me pretty much all there. Um, 
which was a really comforting sign. But, yeah, God, what I mean, you know, to me, like there is nothing that says MMA is having a down year more than Liddell and Hughes looking to make a comeback. Oh, God, really? Yeah, not good. Really not good. Someone says, I've been waiting two weeks to hear this. I just got laid off from work a couple of days ago, Luke. Make my day, please. No. Nope. Uh, how was vacation? Obviously, you missed us coming a day early with the live chat. Uh, vacation was great. The food in Colombia is tremendous. Like I mentioned before, the sleeping is not, at least not in Bogota. But uh, I bought um, $140 worth of coffee. It is glorious. Um, I had to buy a separate bag to bring it home. That is a true story. That is how much I love Colombian coffee. And I didn't just get it from any old Juan Valdez cafe. I got it from farmers. I got it from some artisanal coffee makers. You might be like, oh, there's the elitist douchebag loot going again. The dollar is strong, donkeys. I get it for, uh, you know, a third the price. So eat it. Uh, what should the middleweight division do to the GSP Bisping fiasco? Due to the GSP Bisping fiasco, they should have never made that fight to begin with. I mean, <laughs> I don't understand some people. I thought I was on. I thought when they announced that GSP uh, Bisping fight that I was like one of the few voices being like, eh, "I don't like this." It was like me, Scott Harris, Patrick Wyman, maybe a couple of other ones. Uh, that were like, I don't know if I like this idea too much. And most people I saw were like, no, this is great. This is an amazing fight, blah, 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 blah. When you make a fight that doesn't make sense for a division, let's just accept this from now on. Yes, there are costs to be paid as a consequence. Now, you might say some of those costs I'm willing to pay, right? And maybe that's the case. And everyone's going to have a different sensibility about what the costs are and to what extent we'd be willing to pay them at this time. But I'm just telling you, every time someone wants to make a fight where a guy is coming in out of nowhere and there's a slew of contenders and we're like, well, let's make the big money fights. Okay, all right, fine. What are the costs associated? And it turns out that when they were promoting that fight back in, what was that, uh, that they had that press conference? In February, then the MMA Awards? We all thought for sure he'd be fighting in July. This guy is not going to fight GSP until after October. Okay, from now on, you cannot properly assess the impact, both positive and negative, of a super fight or whatever you want to call these money fights until you know all the given parameters. Who is it going to be against and when is it going to be and in what city? Now you can begin to connect the dots about what the cost might be and everything else. I never understood that fight to begin with. I always thought if you if you really want to do a super fight or something at middleweight, then you need to do it with Anderson Silva because that was a fight everyone had talked about previously. And I get he's not the title holder anymore, and Bisping is. And I'm not saying that doesn't have its own alluring prospects, nor am I saying that that would not have done or will do well at the box office. I think it will. Um, but there are also, for all the good, there are now bad things. Namely, you've got many top contenders being like, you know, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. What are we going to do about this? And now people are like, well, I, I've, I've literally seen this from people who I could have sworn, sworn 
had said that no gsp bisping is awesome being like well i guess bisping or i guess gsp silver was the fight to do all along that was the fight to do all along and i really have no problem if they create an interim title at this point because who gives a damn what are we i mean are we really going to be that strict about well you know we we can't uh, we can't do that anymore I, I i don't like interim titles any more than any of you guys do but i mean we're literally going to hold the middleweight title hostage like there's a season of tough and we don't even have a season of tough to watch between bisping and gsp they're just on ice and everyone else so these guys are supposed to take fights against ridiculous contenders for a fraction of the money <laughs> come on y'all that's not the real world man that's not the real world at all i don't blame any of these guys for being absolutely upset Say what you want about Conor McGregor. Yeah, he's taking time off, but between those fights, like when he when he wants a super fight in MMA anyway, I mean, God knows what's going to happen with Mayweather. But, you know, remember how fast he got back on the horse to fight Dos Anjos, right? And remember how quickly he wanted to make that fight against Eddie Alvarez happen? Like there was a little bit of consistency to it, you know? That's a different problem than the mess he created when he left and, and did whatever he did in featherweight, but at least he was at, up to that point relatively active. GSP should have been fundamentally clear about what he was going to do, when he was going to do it. Because now we have this morass at 185 pounds with no obvious solution other than to create an interim title. I have no problem with it. None whatsoever. Zero. Zero problem with it. Um, just to keep these guys happy and keep it moving. So I can understand, I can understand Anderson Silva's frustrations. I can understand Yoel Romero's frustrations, and and if he and if Anderson declined the fight previously and now he wanted it and he can't get it, there's also you know you had you could have you should have taken it where you had the chance. So those guys deserve some individual uh, blame for some of the situation, no doubt about it. But this is why I again, if you want to do these super fights where a guy jumps in ahead of the queue of other people, it's not no, it's not an automatic no, but you got to assess the risk. To me, Conor McGregor holding the title hostage, well, we're not holding the title hostage, but not defending it, right? Um, it's a solvable problem because you've got Nurmagomedov versus Ferguson. You can still make it even after all the goddamn problems they've had there. You can still do it. That division can keep moving. You have no problems creating an interim title because you know he's going to be gone for a while. Um, the fight with Eddie Alvarez made sense for UFC 205. It was a dramatic hit. That one, okay, all right, I can, I can totally understand it. But you want to delay middleweight until November, maybe December, shit, maybe even January. Who knows when they're going to do that one? And remember, you've got Golovkin in September, so you have to time it after that. Okay, after October, probably have enough time. But then when is Mayweather McGregor going to be? You don't want to go up head-to-head -head against that either. And so you're going to push all that back, all that back, and not create an interim title? Come on, man. Come on. Uh, or what is it? Um, what is that old ESPN bit? Come on, son. It, it, it is totally nonsensical. It, creating the GSP Bisping fight is nonsensical. Pushing it past October is so nonsensical, and we're not gonna and we're not going to fix that or repair that, or at least uh, or pretend we're being consistent about it and not create an interim title. You absolutely should do that. You absolutely should do that. And frankly, well, I won't say that because who knows who's going to fight for that interim title, but. Uh, That'd be that'd be the one of the more legit legitimate interim titles I've ever seen in MMA for sure. Zero problem with it at this point. All right. Lexi Olinick versus Travis Brown. Well, as long as Travis Brown can stay on the feet, you should be fine. 
Uh, is this do or die for Travis? I don't know how it's not do or die for Travis. Oh, and Kelly Olenek. Use a bitch. All right. Um, enjoy this Coke Zero here, this tiny little Coke Zero can. Lewis versus Hunt. I see this fight going. Um, probably Hunt being a little bit quicker. Um, and being a little bit more savvy about range. I would give him the uh, the edge there. Lewis can sometimes fight. Lewis often fights out of a deficit. Like he gets taken down. Guy passes to half guard. He's kind of underneath. He just sort of waits his time. And then when he gets on, he hits really hard. But Mark Hunt can still take a shot and is really good about his own distance and is very accurate. Kind of knows like what conditions have to be to win. Whereas Lewis sort of just sort of fights through a storm, through sheer will. Um, so I probably favor hunting that one, but you know, Lewis hits like a Mack truck. So, you know, can't be too certain about anything. Dylan Dennis versus Nate Diaz. How do you think this fight would go? And then someone says below this, is this a real question? Yeah, apparently. Um, hard to say with any kind of real certainty, but I suspect Dylan Dennis would get smoked by Nate Diaz pretty quickly and pretty easily. Uh, The way Danis grapples with Nate's teammate Jake Shields this weekend. If Danis loses, does his Bellator stock go way down? I don't think so because I think he still gets that Bellator shine. I'm sorry, that uh, McGregor shine. Plus, Jake Shields beat Roberto Satoshi, um, who Danis is admittedly, well, not didn't beat him, I guess tied with him, but Danis is better than Satoshi, but Satoshi is a uh, elite player in Nogi, and, and Shields did just fine. So, uh, great. There were some other changes too. I think Satoshi was expecting a gi match and there's a lot of different problems, but, um, just saying Satoshi is not a joke and, and Shields did real good against him. Shields, did, you know, in MMA did real good against Demi and Maya too. Shields is good, man. And Shields ran through Lyoto Machido on the ground, who again, is not nearly the same level as Dylan Dennis. I'm not saying that, but, uh, you know, Dylan Dennis being kicked out of his academy or, you know, put on hiatus or whatever way you want to describe it. I don't know how good that's going to be for his training. Um, Shields might surprise some people. Like, I think some people might be like, oh, man, Shields beat Danis. That would be an upset in my judgment, but not a big one. Not a big one. Shields is very, very good. Very, very good. His game is not as uh, dynamic from a movement and I think breadth standpoint. It's a little bit more direct and centered. Um, it's a lot of top control. It's a lot of pressure passing. It's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, in-step passing. Um, it's not, it's not, he doesn't bear him bolo to the back. He doesn't, he doesn't do a lot of, you know, I don't know, leg drags and things like that. And Toriando passes. It's not really what he does. He likes to get on top and half guard and do a sort of Noguera in-step pass. It's a lot of what he does. And then he, he's really tight at holding position, but he is at that. Very, very good. Do not at all be surprised if there's a stalemate or if Jake Shields wins. I favor Dennis, but it would be very foolish to count out Jake Shields. Now, if Dennis goes in there and submits him, and not with those overtime rules, I mean in regular time, that would be a, I think that would be a, quite a statement by him because that is very hard to do. Dun, 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 dun. 
Let's see. What came us? Uh, all right. I had someone laugh at my Spanish in Colombia, by the way, which of course is a given, but usually they're just like a little bit confused <laughs> about what I say. I had a lady outright laugh at me. Oh, that was fun. Um, but hey, that's how you get better, right? All right. Kelvin Gastelum announced on the MMA Hour he has a fight for June at middleweight. He said it is a fight that does not do much for his career. Who do you think it is? I don't know. Let's see. Let's take a look at the rankings at middleweight. So that means it's definitely someone outside the top five, which would imply it's outside the top five. Chris Wyman, Anderson Silva, Derek Brunson, Christoph Jotko, Vitor Belfort, Talis Lightes. Could be Talis Lightes. Uriah Hall, maybe. Sam Alvey. So, somewhere in there. Sounds like outside the top ten. That's what I would suspect. Also, what are your thoughts on the punishment he received? He said he put him out of pocket over a hundred grand. I mean, I think you guys know my opinions on marijuana um, in MMA. Um, I, I saw the statement that the uh, Brazilian sports court wrote back, this totally like arrogant, um, dismissive, border, if not outright unprofessional statement that they wrote. It's amazing. Look, this I, I've, I have a video on my own YouTube channel. You can check it out about this. This is a very simple question you should ask the authorities here. Can you tell me with reasonable scientific certainty that you know uh, that he either used or felt the euphoric effects at any point inside that in-competition window? And the answer is no. They can't. They cannot tell you with reasonable scientific certainty. Certainly that is possible. Maybe even probable, but um, they don't know. They really don't know. And so to me, if you don't know that and you're going to assess these incredible financial penalties, and this guy had a, got a fight lined up with Anderson Silva, which would have really propelled him at middleweight, um, then you know I, I know everyone wants to say, well, Kelvin Gastelum should have known better. Right. He might have fully complied with the rules in a way that would have satisfied you. Maybe he stopped smoking four days out, three days out, two days out, right? That's far away from in competition. And yet his levels could have tested at such a level that it would have said to them, ah, he tested above this level. But what is the point of having a level if all it tells you is a guy maybe smoked two days ago, which is not really relevant for any kind of sporting competition with 48 hours after the fact, right? What, what does your level really say? That, that Everyone says, like, we reached the level so high, there's no way you could test above it unless you had really smoked in that window, which is just not, it's just fundamentally not true. It's not true. And there is not a, there is not a, no one on earth can tell you with a reasonable degree, degree of scientific certainty that that person used in that window, given that uh, result on a metabolic, um, metabolite result. It's not possible. It is not possible. So if that's the case, which by the way is not the case with alcohol, or for example, not the case with let's say cocaine, they have a different way in which they can impact the body and what the tests say about them. So it, we're talking about a very different kind of problem with those. Those, you have a reasonable degree of scientific certainty. And if someone has a lot of blood alcohol, uh, high blood alcohol content, they're probably going to be experiencing the effects of it right in front of you. Um, so to me, uh, you know, if they wanted to like slap on the wrist 
to collect some cash from him. I, I guess I don't have much of an issue. Uh, they, you know, they have they have to show the presumption of power. Um, but hundred hundred grand for marijuana, he could have smoked far outside that in competition window. Okay, you tell me how that makes sense because I don't get it. And also, I'm just going to keep saying this because I, I fundamentally believe we need to have a different. We need to have a conversation about anti-doping in MMA, which is what this is a part of. I, I would, I would love, I would love to hear the rational case, the moral case, the sporting governance case for taking away a hundred grand, let's say, and a huge career opportunity. So it's more than a hundred grand. We're talking several hundred grand at this point, if not more than that about what that would have got him that night against Anderson Silva and how it could have propelled him in his career. I would love to hear the ethical case for that based on the science that can't really tell you whether a guy used in that window. If you've got it, by all means, share it with me. Uh, Jotko versus Branch. What are your expectations for this fight? I don't have any. All right. Voting panelists for UFC rankings. Hi, Luke. Hello. I had posted last week, but you didn't reach my post, so reposting it one last time, all right? A few weeks ago, I went through lightweight rankings submitted by each journalist to see how Nate, I'm assuming Diaz, is ranked by everyone. Then I noticed Adriano Martins ranked 6 and 11 by two journalists from MMA Weekly, Jeff Kane and Ken Pishna. Since then, I tweeted them a few times asking why they have even ranked him but got no response. He is four and two in the UFC with most recent loss at 204. I waited to confirm if these journalists update rankings often, and both of them have updated rankings regularly after each event. This raises the question about whether Adriano Martins is their friend or paid to rank them. No, he, I, I don't know. It's a no, but I know Ken and I know Jeff, and I would find that very unlikely uh, as no other journalists have ranked him. Another question is, how many of these panelists get paid by UFC to manipulate rankings? I would hope none. Journalists like you and Ariel should call this out, then maybe we will have accurate rankings. Yes, but I don't care about the rankings uh, as they are currently constructed. We used to do rankings that I thought were a lot better, the SB Nation, USA Today, Consensus, MMA rankings. They are no more. Um, so I thought those were a lot better. But uh, I, I, I would be extremely surprised if Kane or Pishna were being paid to do the ranking of Adriano Martins. I would find that extremely unlikely. The least I hope is one article pointing out questionable rankings and panelists. Now, that being said, I cannot possibly fathom the case for putting him six or 11, but, you know, so if you want to argue about the placement, that's fine, but um, I, I would be shocked if they were paid a nickel for that Tony Ferguson what do you think will be next for Tony Ferguson man I don't know what they're going to do I really for a while there I was like there's no way they make that number Gamedo fight again maybe they do maybe if Eddie Alvarez wins and he can't get the Nate Diaz fight they do Eddie Alvarez versus Tony uh, or if Dustin wins, maybe they do that. Who is close up there that kind of has a big moment ahead of them here? So you've got Barboza. Barboza could fight Tony Ferguson again. That wouldn't be too bad. 
Um, Eddie Alvarez is three. But Dos Anjos is now a welterweight. Michael Johnson's there. So I don't know what they're going to do, but I don't think Eddie's too far away. I think they might do that potentially. But it really depends on what Nate does, and it really depends on what how Eddie performs this weekend, and it really depends on um, what they're going to do with Habib. Do you think there's any chance he gets the Nate fight he wanted? Do I think there's any chance? Yes, I think there is any chance. Not a great one. Um, I, it, forced to bet, I don't think they make it. Forced to bet, I don't think they make it. But that is Alvarez versus Diaz. But stranger things have happened, I suppose. Boxing. Have you seen any of the recent boxing events lately? You have Joshua Klitschko, Canelo Chavez Jr. That fight sucked. And what you think of boxing right now as a competitor to MMA, I think it's gaining steam on them. Well, it's having a good year while MMA is not. No doubt about it. Um, but yeah, this has been a good year. You've got the rematch between Ward and Kovalev coming up. Um, what you had Thurman Garcia. You've got uh, Triple G versus Canelo in September. Maybe you even have Mayweather versus McGregor this year, which I don't think would be a great fight, but it would be a uh, certainly a large-scale event. Yeah, boxing's having a real great year, which is kind of funny. This, I did not anticipate this. We kind of all knew that this would be a bit of a rebound year for or a, a down year for MMA. Did not anticipate it having a good year for boxing, uh, which is my own myopia. I paid a lot more attention to it around up to around 2004. 14, 15, kind of around 15, I sort of not or lost interest, but had MMA was really just doing a lot. It took up a lot of my time and I didn't have the same kind of time or energy to invest in boxing. So I kind of got away from it a little bit because I had gone to the Canelo versus Mayweather fight. I had gone to, you know, Peterson Khan and, and uh, Mayweather McGregor, or sorry, Mayweather uh, Pacquiao. And um, I had covered a bunch of other ones for SB Nation in New York. Um, so, you know, Mayweather, Mar or, um, Pacquiao Marquez. So, um, it, it caught me by surprise, to be honest, that it's having this good of a year. But Anthony Joshua doing what he's doing, man, really, I don't know if he changed heavyweight's perception overnight, but um, in a couple of years, he might he might be able to change heavyweight's perception uh, by that point if he can keep doing what he's doing. If they can make that Deontay Wilder fight. Deontay Wilder, man, I interviewed him at Mayweather uh, Pacquiao. That guy is so good on camera, so good uh, talking to the media. Crazy story, has the look, the size. He walks in a room. He's incredible. I've not seen Anthony Joshua in person, but I suspect he's something similar, you know? It, there, there's some real opportunity there. Plus, you have Klitschko rematch clause that could take place, and who knows what crazy-ass Tyson Fury is going to do. So there's some real opportunity there that all of a sudden just manifests itself. This is what I mean when, I, when I've been saying over and over for the, if you've watched this live chat for years, this is a boom and bust sport and combat sports generally. So that's true for boxing and it's going to be true for MMA. When there's a lot of stars that all of a sudden emerge or a lot of big fights that potentially emerge, you know, I don't think Golovkin's a big star, but relative to Canelo in a fight that matters and one that's going to get promoted like crazy in that role he is and, uh, and Canelo already is. You know, so all of a sudden these fights begin to emerge and they kind of all emerge, you know, uh, people say bad things happen in threes in, in combat sports, good things happen in clusters and bad things happen in clusters. And yeah, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing just the turn of the screw 
Um, and so MMA is going to have this. This is just we just fundamentally need to accept this is going to be all year, probably a really down year. That doesn't mean there won't be fun fights. That doesn't mean there won't be good fights. That doesn't mean there won't be important fights that get you feeling the nerves and that have you thinking about it as you lay awake in bed like a real fight fan does sometimes. I'm not saying that won't happen. It will happen. What I am saying is um, it's just going to be relative to 2016, probably even 2015 down the, the cards won't be generally as good the fights generally won't be as big the returns won't be financially as lucrative it's just the way it's going to be you might have a couple of bright spots if john jones comes back and can turn on some magic but what if he comes back and loses right it's which is not in any way impossible um what do you do then and what if they can't make that fight in november because mayweather mcgregor happens and may and mcgregor gets starched which i don't think is necessarily getting starched is likely but losing probably is it, it's it, it's just going to be a down year. Someone asked me, do I think, what will we see McGregor in the octagon in 2017? Not a chance. Not a chance on this earth. Not a chance. Unless, you know, God forbid, I would not wish this upon him, but unless Mayweather disappeared from the earth tonight, uh, I, don't, I don't see how he possibly competes in the octagon in 2017. Th th this is just the new reality. It says Canelo versus Alvarez, excuse me, Canelo versus Chavez was an absolute S show. And boxing still hasn't sold 1 million pay-per-views since May Pack. At least bring some facts with you, you dumb effing morons talking about boxing. UFC has been on top since May 2nd, 2015. That doesn't turn around overnight. Well, you seem like a very friendly person. Um, okay, Robbie Lawler. After back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back wars with Hendricks, McDonald, and Condit, was the Robbie Lawler that fought Tyron Woodley the same one that fought McDonald? I do not think so. Do you think he will be the same after he fights Cowboy after having a year off? Well, taking a year off was a good thing. That I think I like because Robbie Lawler is one of those guys who already knows how to fight. How much better is his grappling going to get? How much better is his striking going to get if he had just stayed in the meat grinder? Not that much better, probably even worse. He would have regressed, right? There is a case to be made that when you have it, had an injury, and I consider wars in MMA, even if you didn't get knocked out, I consider that to be the functional equivalent of an injury. Taking the time necessary just to recuperate, stay busy but not crazy active, and then heal a little bit, come back refreshed and do good things, um, I think is good. The question is how much was drained past the point of, you know, insolvency here or something. Uh, I really feel like Condit was never the same after that war with Robbie, and we don't have enough evidence to say that Robbie's not the same, but my hunch is that he's, I mean, they were neck and neck what they had done to each other, you know, and I have a, I'm, I'm, I'll say this, I'm worried that Robbie is probably in the same ballpark, but I don't know. Um, I can't say that with any degree of certainty. This, this Cerrone fight will probably tell us that. You know, it'll probably give us a sense of where he really is. And, and in that sense, is, is, is quite important. Junior Dos Santos and his recent inactivity. Hi, Luke. Your colleague, Mr. Helwani, brought up a great point that I had not thought of leading to UFC 212's main event. JDS has had one fight for a year for the last three years. Do you think this level of inactivity will ultimately hinder his ability to fight and win against Deepa Miocic this Saturday? Why or why not? No, I don't. I think it'll be actually do the opposite. Peter Dos Santos's problem is not 
inactivity. It's activity. It's his style of fighting carries a significant cost with it. And he has been known to overtrain at times to meet certain demands and deadlines. What he needs is to be reined back. Now, you could not do that early in his career, but how old is Mr. JDS? He's a old 33, in my judgment. He's an old 33 uh, who's had multiple surgeries and a lot of face rearranging fights. For him, taking a fight once a year is probably a very good idea. It's something I very much think is wise. Smart fights at the right time. You already know how to fight. You're not going to get much better at age 33 in between camps. Yes, you can tweak things. Yes, you can work on certain game plans. But he talked about it in the very first episode of The Embedded. You got to fight smart. You got to use all your tools. That's what he's doing now. He's taking time away. Yes, to work on his craft. But to the most important thing he can do is what do I have reasonably accessible to me? How do I bring all these things to bear in a way that is effective without, without having a over the top physical cost? There's always going to be a physical cost to pay at heavyweight. But how much of one? And he couldn't outsmart Overeem. Overeem has really kind of mastered this style late in his career, to credit to him. But JDS is doing some of the same things that Overeem is, redefining himself. You know, um, to bring it back, everyone's talking about how Ronaldo, right? Messi got the best of him in uh, El Clasico, but Ronaldo had that hat trick against Atleti in the semis on the first leg of it why because he has completely redefined himself he can't really dribble past guys anymore but he sort of is a guy who can on set pieces still be an aerial threat and and sort of hangs around the goal in a way to to catch um you know crosses passed into him and as a consequence uh he is still incredibly effective at age 32 jds used to be a you know a, a blood and guts heavy-handed dueler and now he and he always had a jab before but now he's really diligent about working behind the jab going upstairs going to the body staying at the edge of at edge of it really minding his footwork his takedown defense has become phenomenal his patience is better right he's redefined and gotten better in certain ways um and has more tools to use as a consequence and so i think uh i think you know not compounding some of the old problems he had by piling on them will be bad uh, or say not doing that actually will be good for him uh, I, I really believe that i think once you know maybe two fights a year would be better you can make an argument that not one is necessarily optimal but if i have all the concerns i have for jds is inactivity generally something that i think will ultimately be the deciding factor about whether or not he wins or loses on saturday nope i don't i don't have that concern Uh, why the Twitter handle change? Oh, I'm glad you asked. So I should have, I'm an idiot. I changed my Twitter name and I should have grabbed the old one and I didn't. So some other jerk off did, uh, but you can tell it's not me, even though he made it or he or she tried because of the number of followers I've got around 57,000. I think that person has like what nine or something. I don't know what it is today, but, um, in any case, why did I change it? I used to be SBN Luke Thomas. I am not. I'm not. I am now L Thomas News. Why? Because my Instagram is Luke Thomas News. My Facebook is Luke Thomas News. And I couldn't use Luke Thomas News on this one because some, uh, someone else grabbed that. But it's close. I wanted them to all be as close together as possible. For the time being, I have lost my verification badge. However, I've already reapplied for it. 
I suspect I will get it. I suspect I will get it by the end of the week, maybe early next week at the latest. Um, I have applied for different Twitter accounts, different roles in my life for verification, and it usually happens in five to seven days if they grant it to you. Um, as you know, I was previously verified. I, I suspect I'll be verified again, given the criteria. And if the timelines hold up, I suspect Friday or Saturday. Um, I'm hoping Friday or Saturday. So once I get re-verified, this should clear up any confusion. But for the time being, yes, it is me at L Thomas News. There you go. And you can follow me on Instagram, Luke Thomas News, and Facebook, Luke Thomas News. So there you go. All right, heading into the summer, biggest thing coming for the remainder of the calendar, Jones-Cormier, right, in July? Um, if that's too difficult to narrow down, how about the top three? So that, Garbrandt versus uh, Dillashaw, and maybe some kind of lightweight title fight I think will happen, maybe around August, or an interim title fight, anyway. Also, was Whitlock different off the air? as far as his radical opinions toward the sport, or is he being real when on the air? Well, I don't know him off the air. I had him on my show. Um, we battled a little bit, um, which I appreciate. I appreciate that he came on. You know, I don't agree with him, but people wanted me to murder him. I didn't feel like I don't, f I'm not comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with debating ideas. And he tried to forthrightly write some ideas, at least insofar as this case is concerned. I don't buy some of his arguments, namely that, his argument is that Deadspin moved ESPN to the political, politically correct side of things. And my argument is, well, I definitely feel like media has shifted leftward. Whether you like that or you don't like that, a sports media, I should say. Whether you like that or whether you don't like that is certainly a matter of interpretation. But I don't see how you could possibly argue that it hasn't. I have seen corporate media move to the left over the last 10 years, both internally in the way it conducts itself and the way which it has conduct policies and certain priorities and how that bleeds out into editorial. I've just seen it uh, and I've seen it at a variety of different places from television to radio and, and everything else. So um, maybe you think that's good. Maybe you think that's bad. But I see that as pretty much um, incontestable. And Whitlock's point was like, well, that's true, but only because Deadspin beat up ESPN to the point where that ESPN moved and everybody followed. I don't buy that at all. What I think happened was Deadspin did beat up ESPN and maybe ESPN responded to them. I don't know enough about the internal dynamics of ESPN to say that's true, but that Deadspin doing that that was the tip of the spear of a larger change in sports media generally manifesting itself in that particular duel. But that change is not something fundamental merely to those two actors. It is a larger cultural shift. And he didn't seem to buy that. He seems to think it's solely about what Deadspin did. Like, do I really think Deadspin moved the entirety of U.S. sports media to the left? No, I do not. I do not. Uh, they probably had some role to play in that, certainly. But uh, that seems like you are burdening them with a result that they couldn't possibly have pulled off even if they had wanted to. No, no individual entity could. Um, so, so I don't buy that at all. But I do buy that there is something to be said for. Is that leftward shift good? I think in some ways it is, getting voices that you ordinarily wouldn't hear from. But I also am concerned that uh, any kind of shift in any direction necessarily precludes a lot of voices that people don't want to hear from like everyone wants to just shame jason whitlock 
And maybe some of the things he has written are shameful, particularly about Serena Williams or perhaps some other ones. But in this particular context, he was trying to articulate ideas, ideas I do not agree with. But because it was a, in this context, a reasonably sincere effort, I thought I owed him a reasonably sincere effort to address and air those arguments and then hear some questions that challenged the premises or um, other aspects of, of the line of thinking. And that's what I hope to do. So, um, you know, whether I successfully did that, you can be the judge for yourself. But, but that's, that's what that is. Um, okay. But, you know, when you ask him about his opinion about MMA, do I think he's trolling when he goes on Fox Sports 1? I don't know. I don't know Jason Whitlock. But um, just always remember, there are very few people in the world who know a lot about traditional sports and know a lot about combat sports. They are different worlds. They are connected, but they're different worlds. They are cousins separated by an ocean. Most people know a lot about, let's say, traditional sports and have a passing knowledge of combat sports, or conversely, have a lot of knowledge about combat sports and a passing knowledge about traditional. Very few can speak fluently in both languages. An example of somebody who can is Max Kellerman. Max Kellerman is a guy who I would say is fluent in both languages. Maybe a little bit more so in traditional, but or in boxing, not so much MMA, but but he gets MMA. Like he does. He, you know, does he know who, you know, is the Invicta Adam Weight number two contender? No, he doesn't. But um, this is not a guy who watches MMA and and, and much is lost on him. Um, he gets it. And he also understands, you know, the NFC East, and he understands um, you know, why the Golden State Warriors swept their way to the Western Conference Finals or you know, who's better, MJ or LeBron, that kind of thing. He gets that. So um, just always remember, if someone comes from a certain world and is trying to opine about another one, they might not be trolling, or they might be, but they're just dealing with subject matter where they don't have quite the same kind of firm grasp. Um. Luke Rockhold and a middleweight contender strike. What do you make of Rockhold's recent comments that the middleweight contender should just tell UFC to F off? Well, they won't, right? Because this is a world where everyone might feel the same way about the UFC, but individually only wants to act to make sure they get theirs, the rest be damned. So that won't happen. Do I think a strike is possible? Sure, They're just extremely unlikely. And do you think it will work? No. But remember, it's not the point about whether... Look, the concern about Luke Rockhold's statement is not about whether Luke Rockhold will actually be able to execute a strike. He won't be. But forget it. The, the bigger concern, as I mentioned before, instead, is that there will be a contagion that spreads. Not people working in concert, but having the functional equivalent by people having been tuned out, unenthusiastic, non-compliant, uninterested in participation in their own individual way. That's the concern. Do I really think Whitaker and Romero and Rockhold and, and Silva are going to get on a conference call and figure this out? No, there's, there's no chance of that happening, or at least extremely little. However, that's not the concern that should really be brought to bear here. The concern is that if Rockhold does this, will someone else 
also adopt that position of nonchalance or maybe, you know, not even indifferent anger because, hey, look, he's right. And I feel bad about my situation. So I'm going to take it out on the UFC in my way. I'm not going to participate in my own way. And it has this accumulative effect over time. Not guys working in concert is what you have to worry about. Contagion spreading. That's what you have to worry about. And I really feel like that is a serious, serious problem. And what the answer is to that seems to me is some kind of collective action on behalf or for the fighters. But, um, yeah, you know the answer. You know how that movie ends. More questions about Justin Gaethje. How high is his ceiling? He might be able to work himself to the top five, but I don't think he can beat the very best. I really don't. Um, Maya versus Masvidal. I'll take Maya. <laughs> I'll take Maya. Um, of course, if if Masvidal can keep it on the feet, he has a chance of winning. Is here's what you're going to look for. It's not merely Masvidal keeping it on the feet. What you're going to look for is how much can Masvidal keep Maya off of him? How much are they separated? Because even if Maya can't get Masvidal down, if he's got body locks and he's working mat returns and trips and occasionally taking the back and then losing it but then switching to a single and then going back upstairs with the body lock and all Maya or Masvidal is doing is trying to break the hands and dig underhooks and his back is up against the fence, he's still going to lose probably. Even if you say, well, he defended everything. Yeah, but one guy was offensive and one guy got a couple of times he got a takedown. It'll be boring and it'll be kind of a suck fest, but it'll still be Ma uh, Maya's fight in that particular context. What you need for Masvidal is this, or to be on top and banging on him, right? Legitimately banging on him. Um, but I think more so is just that. As long as there's this, uh, and, and as long as there's close contact, I don't see how Maya loses that one. Short of, you know, something else happening. But look, Masvidal is crazy talented. And he's been crazy talented a long time. And he waited for this moment in his career to really make a push. Seems like the right move. So we'll see what he can do. Uh, I'm not sure how to answer this question. I typically don't like to comment too much on my colleagues, but this is a okay one. Uh, I know you've worked with Ariel for a number of years. Uh, MMA awards seem to have him as the best MMA journalist out there, even if he is not number one. I'm sure there are so many different ways to compare you guys. What is it that makes him one of the better journalists, or is he maybe the most viewed mainstream? Well, he's certainly the most viewed mainstream by far. Um, all right, let's, let's talk about what Ariel's good at. You know, and I know it's not my place to do that necessarily, but I'll keep this brief just to. Um, I don't like dodging questions on this one, even if it, uh, some subject matters I'm a little bit more comfortable in discussing in this kind of format. But, you know, long story short, look, man, look who's got the kind of ability to um, – there's a lot of things he's good at, but uh, good at interviews, right, for example. Um, he is good at not merely breaking news and uh, being able to, uh, you know, Adam Schefter uh, his way through the news cycle in a kind of commanding way, but – 
takes a certain skill to get people to talk to you in the first place and to keep contact with you and to, uh, and to be able to foster, uh, all those kinds of, um, relationships exactly, but to keep those lines of communication open, you know, it's not something I'm particularly good at or have a lot of interest in. Uh, it's just not a skill that I have. Um, he's got it in spades, right? Um, so, you know, there's lots of really, really good media members and journalists uh, in this in the sport. But in terms of doing what he does in that way, both you know, the interviewing side, of course, very good. But um, to me, the one thing that stands out is the ability to get people to talk to him um, and tell him really important things and to do it not just once, but over time. <laughs> Let me tell you something, folks. Not an obvious thing. Not an obvious thing at all. No chance. It is very, very difficult. It is very difficult. And um, you know, there's a lot of targets on his back from different people in the industry who all want to, you know, what was the most recent one? Ray Cepho, you should check your sources. Justin Gates, he's not a free agent. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he is. But that kind of thing, you know, you're getting beat up in public like that, even though you're right. You know, we all know what happened with the 199 show, you know. But the, to me, you know, again, you can point to a thousand things. Just remember this point. It is not an obvious thing that because you work at MMA fighting or ESPN or the New York Times or anything that people are going to open up to you. That is a separate skill. Does, does, does it help if you work at the New York Times? Yeah, of course. You know, But um, it's a separate skill. And I think the, the evidence, of, evidence of his career has shown insofar as MMA is concerned I think he has that skill better than anybody. So, and as a consequence, there is a service to you, the MMA consumer. All right, let's go to the Twitter machine. So, at L Thomas News. Remember that, turkeys. At L Thomas News. All right, here we go. I will be devastated if I'm not verified. I mean, it would suck. I'm not going to lie. It doesn't really change anything. You still have the amount of followers you always had. And there's plenty of guys who have a lot more than me who are not verified. But, you know, as a, if I'm booking a guest and I'm tweeting about him on my show, it's better if you got a blue check mark next to your name. It just does. Sorry. I mean, I wish, I wish it wasn't that way, but it is. So, But is it the end of the world? No. Do you agree that Nate versus Tony could do a million pay-per-view pay buys? Um, I don't, but maybe I think that would be the high end. Be, that would be the high end for me, but, uh, it's possible. It's possible. Did the Canelo fight teach us how bad the McGregor Mayweather fight can be? No, no. Go watch the Pacquiao Clotty fight. That'll show you how bad a fight can be. Uh, AJ is huge. Nate Diaz huge. Wilder's wild punches will see him outboxed by Fury and knocked out by AJ. Yeah, whether or not Deontay Wilder wins is not the same as whether or not it would be a big fight for boxing and a big moment for heavyweight boxing. Separate issue. In fact, Wilder getting knocked out might even serve those interests, not, not take away from them. Right. So you might be like, well, Luke, Wilder would lose to Joshua. Awesome. Hope it's spectacular because that would be great for heavyweight boxing and certainly for an ascendant Anthony Joshua, wouldn't it be? Brooke Spence, next big event in boxing. I wouldn't call that a big event. 
Are you surprised Eddie Alvarez is the underdog in some places against Poirier? Uh, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of, not negativity necessarily, but cynicism about his ability to rebound, given how bad he performed at uh, 205. Um, he sounds enthusiastic. You know, he's not fighting on a main card. He's fighting on the prelims, which I think is good. That, that's not a tune-up fight. Fighting Dustin Poirier in no uncertain terms is a tune-up fight. Let us be fundamentally clear about that. However, I think Alvarez, if he's competing up to his potential, is very competitive and can beat Dustin Poirier. And after all the hoopla of 205, taking a guy still ranked in the top three, giving him a tough fight, but doing it in a way where there's a lot less media focus and pressure on him than if he was a headlining a card or in some kind of co-main event or really you know, on a peak pay-per-view in a large scale. This is a guy who's this is going to be FX, but it's on the prelim card. Smart move by the UFC to put him there. Not merely for the FX audience, but for a little bit of a... It allows Eddie Alvarez to take a step back from all of the weight from the previous one and focus a lot more on what he normally has to do um, to win a contest. I like it. I think it's smart. Did I book my room for International Fight Week? No, but I mean, I'm sure I'm going. God, kill me now. Uh, well, he isn't the most eloquent. Has anyone asked Nate Diaz if he'd head up a fighters union? I don't think he has an interest. I don't know that he would be the... What you would want really is somebody who has a background in labor relations. You could get Nate Diaz to be a public face of it, but you could not get him to lead that. You need someone who has those core competencies in labor organizing to do that. Yeah. What do you think of Malki Kawa saying that WME still doesn't have an analytics department for the UFC? I did not hear that. And what are some of the repercussions of the UFC not getting a solid TV deal? What if even they don't get paid plus the fighters? I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and hear what Malki Kawa had to say about an analytics department for the UFC. But um, without knowing exactly what you're talking about, I'm going to refrain from answering that one because I don't, I don't know. Bad move from Connor taking the Floyd fight in a boxing ring. Do the pros outweigh the cons? I mean, oh Jesus, this guy's Twitter name is Adolf Hitler. All right, <laughs> figure that one out. Um, people want news on Nick and Nate. There is none. I get this question every week. When are they fighting? I don't know. Hit him up on Twitter. What do you think about Justin Gaethje versus Al Iaquinta? I think Al would do quite well. Do you think Anthony Pettis will ever fight for a title again? Mm, probably not. What's a hobby or an interest or skill you have that not many people may know about you? Jesus, uh, fairly an open book. 
It's a hobby or a skill or an interest that many people may not know about you. Um, I like tech news. I wouldn't call that a hobby or a skill, but it is an interest. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. You kind of know my life. I don't, I mean, I don't get to do a whole lot other than what I do. Like there's not, there's not um, a lot of, I don't have a lot of free time. Uh, you know, I'm reading a variety of different books, right? I guess that's one thing. I just read a variety of different books. Uh, on like, I don't, I don't ever read MMA books ever. Uh, not that there's not a value to reading them. It's just given the, you know, you got a hundred attention dollars to spend each day. I cannot all, live my life in MMA and then and then have a bunch of uh, books reading about it either. Uh, it, it would turn me into an utterly culturally illiterate person, which, you know, whatever degree of illiteracy I have now would only be exacerbated. So we can't do that now, can we? Um, but word to the wise, if you want to work in this business full-time, full-time, and you have any degree of a relationship with an audience where you talk about your life in any capacity, chances are they're going to know a fair degree about you. Um, you know, I cook sometimes. I mean, but this is like, most of what I do, you guys know about. I love, I love uh, powerlifting. I love Olympic weightlifting. I love, uh, I don't get to train as much as I want, but jujitsu. I cover MMA for a living. I have dogs. Barbus is downstairs, probably pouting. Um, you guys know about my wife. I enjoy South America. It's about it, bro. It's about it. Oh, look, that's boring, right? That's that's how it's going to go if you want to do this. That's how it's going to go. Oh, I love Real Madrid. You know, so there you go. Ain't it interesting? Uh, Sylvan now getting his answer from Dana about an interim belt. What fight is deserving of an interim? Any fight. Oh, wait, someone's correcting me. It says, Malki Kawa said the UFC does have an analytics department on their fighters. Not sure what the live chat comment was about. All right, well, that's why I didn't answer it, because I don't know. How does Artem Lobov keep tricking these top 10 dudes to fight him? He's not tricking them. They're taking it because they think it's an easy win. Do you agree Gastelum, Garbrandt, and Masvidal are the top three boxers in the UFC? No. No, I don't. JDS is a good boxer. Conor McGregor's a good boxer. Um, JTX is more of a Thai boxer, but she can do some boxing as well. Um, so no, no, I don't agree with that. What are your thoughts on UFC 213? When will the main event be announced? Now let's refresh my memory about old 213. This will take place in T-Mobile Arena. God, I hate the T-Mobile Arena. Uh... I think Garbrandt versus Dillashaw probably is your main event. Or Nunez versus Shevchenko. Oh my God, I hate that a venue. Oh my God. Vice Sports just wrote, it's the Capitals Stanley Cup to lose. Well, that's it. Game seven. <laughs> we have no chance now. Thank you. Oh God. Thank you, Vice Sports, for jinxing us. Clowns. God damn it.
Anderson Silva's future. What do you make of the last week's back and forth between Silva and the UFC? I think it's more of that general malaise that I spoke about. I don't know that I buy Silva's going to retire because while some guys are willing to sit out their careers or just stop, I don't think Silva's really in that place. He always talks about how much he loves to do it. The guy you can tell loves to be a showman all the way down to doing those scrums. He holds court like a, you know, like he's just an incredible public orator. I don't think he's ready to be done with that. Maybe he should be, but he's not ready. So the threat of retirement, that's why Dana White called his bluff, because Dana White's like, I just don't believe you. Um, but that doesn't mean he's going to play ball with a lot of other things and create future problems. Like That's the issue with, like, with Dana White being like, well, if you're thinking about retirement, you should. It's good to call someone's bluff, but it's not good to foster non-amicable relations uh, or a non-amicable relationship with a fighter. I'm not saying it's this will ultimately blow up in the UFC's face. I'm, I'm not saying that, but I'm just also trying to point out that there can be costs to this long term in terms of, again, maintaining an order between fighter and promoter to keep the product moving in an interesting and frequent way, which I think is eroded quite, quite significantly. Any word on what the war master will do next? I do not, man. I know he's training some fighters, but uh, in terms of like any kind of public career, I don't know. What are your thoughts on Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier being on the prelims? I kind of already alluded to it. It feels to me this fight should be on the main card as Alvarez just fought McGregor in a title bout, right? But they want to. I think they really want to give him a chance for a proper rebound. Remember, these fights are not on Fox Sports One. The prelim fights—they're on FX. And because they're on FX, there's a bigger audience. You got to step up and put some names on there that people know. You can't just sort of take that FS1 audience for granted. Not that FS1 has an organic one, but like they don't necessarily have to have the same polish on a prelim card that they would if they're going to be on FX. Pettis versus Cejudo was a good fight, but it does not feel as big as the Alvarez fight. I don't think that it is, but that's not the key consideration there. Quick predictions for the card. I will do that later this week when I see the fighters and talk to them. Any news on Rumble's new career? I have none at the moment. Sorry. Golovkin versus Canelo. I've been Golovkin for years, but after that Jacobs fight, I don't know, man. He's a little bit older. I don't know. I don't know. I can't wait, though. It's going to be a great, great fight. Let's say Demetrius Johnson steps up a weight division after his next fight and faces the potential winner of Garbrandt versus Dillashaw. How do you how does DJ fare in terms of size, speed, and skill against either man? I think he would fare pretty well against both those guys. Obviously, um, Dillashaw had issues with Dodson however many years ago. I don't know that he would still do, but the speed advantage to me would be significant. Remember, DJ did quite well against Cruz until Cruz just decided to wrestle him. Um, I'm not saying the wrestling was the only reason, but it was a pretty key component, especially later in that fight. He was just able to control him. If Garbrandt and Dillashaw are, are able to do that, I think they could have uh, a, a lot of success. But if they play at open range with him, um, he could be some problems for them. He could be some real problems for them. Was UFC wrong in not promoting Noon's after her win over Ronda, if not before, and, and booking her next fight sooner. Well, uh, semi-credit to the UFC, or maybe some all-the-way credit, um, she did a big media tour after she won. 
distinctly, I was actually in the studios at Sirius XM and the walls in the studio are all glass. And uh, she was supposed to come on our show. She actually walked past, well, she did come on later, but she walked past ours and she was leaving the um, Opie radio studio. I guess she was on with Opie or no, maybe it was the Jim Norton and um, the other donkeys with Sam Roberts. He, she was on that show. She had been doing interviews all over New York City that day. TV, radio, the whole nine. She called into mine. Um, so they actually, and I think she went to the Super Bowl. Like, they did a lot for her after that. And I think she was in demand after that, much in the same way that Holly Holm was. Um, so maybe they didn't promote her properly up front, but she she definitely was busy after the fact. No doubt about it. Uh, okay. That does it for me. Uh, thank you guys for watching here on this Tuesday. This is not a permanent move, just a one day, one week thing, just because tomorrow there's going to be a thousand guys to talk to and there's no good way to do it. So, um, so thank you for joining me today. Please give the video a like, share it around, subscribe to MMA fighting. The whole crew is going to be in Dallas. I'll be there for just a couple of days. I come back early, early, early Friday morning. Um, so if you see me out there, say hi, don't be a creep. Thank you for putting up with me on my vacation. And, uh, oh, new email address luke thomas news at gmail.com see how this works luke thomas news on facebook luke thomas news on instagram l thomas news on twitter luke thomas news at gmail.com send me any, any email you want right there question comment bitch gripe smart ass remark just do it there luke thomas news ladies and gentlemen is the new monitor name label whatever the hell it's called i don't know until next time, ladies and gentlemen, thank you and stay frosty.